0: Hi guys and welcome to the final episode. So in this interview I'll be talking to Dr Adam Harrison and we'll be talking about medics who want to go into law. So Adam has multiple law qualifications and this is a really interesting episode because we learn a lot about the ins and outs of working in law in the UK and a lot of things that I actually didn't know despite the fact that I've watched a lot of law TV programs. So this will be a pretty interesting episode I feel. And I hope you enjoy it. Hi Adam, how are you doing?
1: Hi hi Zane, I'm really well thank you, how are
0: you? I'm great, well it's good to have you on. So we'll start, we'll jump into it. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about you and what you do now?
1: Yep, so uh, I'm a a GP by trade and I I went into the medical leadership roles um, and I was coached um, when I was an assistant medical director for NHS England and I just thought, yeah, um, this is what I want to be doing, actually. So uh, while I've been in Australia recently, I've retrained uh, as a a life leadership and executive coach.
0: So we've chatted on the phone already, and I know that you've had quite a a legal part of your career. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you got into the more legal side of your career?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I think I first became interested in medical legal work Uh, when I was a house officer actually so I qualified in 2000 from St Mary's Hospital in London and uh, worked for a consultant urologist who did lots of medical legal expert witness work and he used to regale us with lots of interesting stories um, about the cases that he'd been involved in and uh, I thought gosh that sounds really interesting so he um, gave me the contact details for the solicitor who used to instruct him Um, but I never really got around to contacting um, that gentleman because uh, I don't know, I just thought, uh, you know, I've only just finished med school, I've got fifty grand of debt to pay off. you know, I can't be um you know going off on a little frolic and and doing another course and accruing more debt um when I've got this to pay off and you know carry on on a low low salary, so um, yeah, I just kind of put it on the back burner for a while, but I was very interested in histopathology and um specifically forensics, so I thought well, i you know i'll Pursue that uh, route as a career, forensic histopathology. I got a place to do histopathology training in Nottingham. That didn't really work out um, for various reasons. I just left that all behind, really, and went into surgical training, and then um, that had certain challenges. And then I went down the GP route. um, And it was after probably about a year of working as a GP that it just kind of, you know, it was that itch that I had to scratch about doing some medical legal stuff so I thought well you know I could now retrain as a as a lawyer but then I I saw that the medical defense union were advertising for medical legal advisors and you didn't have to be legally trained at the time Mm -hmm. and I thought well, you know this this could be my my way of getting into it you know so um, I applied and it was quite a rigorous um, selection process but I managed to get through and yeah started working for the MDU and it was just fantastically interesting
0: what was it like
1: yeah on the on the positive side the the cases were very very interesting um you know everything from sort of general mainstream advisory calls about consent um confidentiality that that kind of stuff like you know referring people to um or signposting people to gmc guidance and so on um all the way up to um you know doctors who had been um had criminal proceedings for uh, manslaughter against them. Or, uh, I remember one, uh, case where, uh, the doctor had been basically was a, a peeping Tom, um, into a, a neighboring flat, um, through into a neighbor's bathroom. Um, and there were cases where consultants had been bullied by other consultants and and, and so on. So the whole, the whole gamut of, of things, but, um, yeah it was it was working from home um which uh, originally was you know one of the things that really sold the mdu um for me uh because the mps you had to work from from one of their offices so it seemed great you know i could do medical legal work i could still be based in nottingham um but um yeah it's as you probably know it's not quite the the glamorous um panacea uh to all your uh (laughs) uh, job problems working from home you know it's you end up working more hours and you can never get away from your work because your you know your office is in the next door to your living room and um you just get a lot of work related guilt um and yeah i was i was working a lot more hours for for less pay than when i was in practice although it was more interesting it was really demanding it was sort of you know logging on at eight logging off about ten and still never getting the work done, you know, never getting through the work.
0: What were you doing for them? Like, What was your exact role?
1: So we dealt with uh, all of the medical legal um, problems that doctors might have, apart from the claims, which were dealt with just by the, the, the medical claims handlers. Um, but I think with the MPS, you, they dealt with everything.
0: OK, OK. OK, so, I must, so you left there. Um, and what did you do afterwards?
1: So, um, so I worked for them full time for a year, and um, then I decided to. Well, I just found the 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 work fascinating, but frustrating at the same time because when the cases were really interesting, you had to hand them on to legal. So yeah, so I thought I want to be doing that side of things and finishing the cases off rather than just handing them on at, at quite an early stage. So that's why I went down the legal route. So. Yeah, I worked worked full time for a year, and then I went back to law school, and I carried on working on the the telephone advisory line one afternoon a week for them, just mm-hmm. for twelve months, um, and then mm-hmm. and then I finished working for them all together.
0: So, when you say you went to law school, was that GDL?
1: Yes, it was. Yeah, I went to Nottingham Law School, um, so Nottingham Trent University, um, which was you know my where I was living at the time, but also happened to have a really good. Uh, reputation and it was a a good law school so that was really handy for me um and uh, you know quite a few doctors had been there as well so uh, it was it was recommended
0: okay so for those who don't know so GDL um from my understanding is like is it for those who didn't study law at university and is it concerned sort of like a a year's conversion or from my is that is that correct
1: yeah it is it is uh yeah it's commonly called the yeah the law conversion course um it's uh, i'd say 99.9% of people haven't studied law before but there was someone in my class who um had got their law degree uh in the 1970s and then hadn't worked in law for for many years and then um they were allowed to kind of just do that to update and and top up really so yeah but mostly um people who had other degrees and then wanted to do law
0: okay so that was for a year
1: it was for a year full time um so full time was four days a week so generally Fridays were a free day um occasionally uh, towards the end of the year there might have been an exam on a Friday um but I don't remember Fridays ever being an issue for me I worked in practice on Fridays um, so I did my, my forward Monday to Thursday at law school and then Fridays in practice and I did out of hours as well. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I um, funded my way through um, the GDL.
0: And how did you enjoy it?
1: I I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, um, I I remember saying to some uh, classmates at the time uh, during a, a constitutional law a tutorial where we were learning all about how, you know, uh, laws are made and learning a lot more about Parliament and so on. And, and I was just thinking, how have I got to this stage in my life, you know, my kind of my late 30s? And I don't know this stuff about our constitution and, um, you know, about administrative law. Um, and it just seemed to me that it should be something that everyone knows about, you know, that everyone at school should do, that you just, you should know about this stuff. It was... You know, it was really eye-opening, but at the same time, I felt quite ashamed I didn't really know know it all already, you know.
0: That's interesting. So it was a year, but it was, it sounded like you really enjoyed the process of what you were learning.
1: Yeah, it was really good. And um, I made a lot of good friends that are still friends now. And um, I got involved in, in mooting, which is kind of like mock uh, trials. Mm. So I got involved in mooting um, at that time and did quite a lot of that and some mediation competitions and things so there were lots of opportunities through through Nottingham Law School um, particularly um, and I had a friend who did the distance learning um, over two years um, but they had very little uh, you know kind of face-to-face tutor time um, and less of the opportunities to get involved in these sorts of competitions and stuff than than we did so.
0: So after your GDL what did you do?
1: so then i just um transitioned smoothly uh straight into the uh, bptc the bar professional training course which again was full time for a year although again you could do it distance learning over a couple of years um and again fridays were the you know nominally your free day um so it was monday to thursday and it was it was intense it was so where the gdl was um academically very intense um the The BPTC was was practically very intense. So there was lots of, you know, being up on your feet, as they say, you know, kind of like arguing cases to your to your tutors against one of your um, peers. Um, And you had to do quite a lot of prep for those.
0: What was the aim of the BPTC? Was it that once you completed that, you could then be called to the bar?
1: Yeah, so... uh, that that was that is true obviously to be called to the bar you needed to be a member of an an in
0: mm, okay so we have to we have to start explaining all of these things because uh I feel like GDL is like the, the level of where I'm at so okay so if, to complete the GDL that gives you sort of a certification that you've you've kind of got the law element you've got the academic element of what you need to do and then so the BPTC, is that the next step for everyone?
1: No. So so I think so the way I would describe it in a nutshell is that um, the GDL is probably the equivalent of the first couple of years of a law degree. Mm-hmm. And then a bit like with every degree in your third and final year of most undergraduate degrees, you then do your dissertation or whatever. So you specialize in, in something. Um so you've got that kind of the same academic knowledge that someone who's done an LLB has, you know, a law, an undergraduate law degree, um, because they don't do four days a week all day, you know, full time like that when they're doing an LLB. It's all condensed into that time for the, the law conversion course. And then you can choose to you know, not do anything with it uh, if you don't want to, or you can choose, you want to go down the, the solicitor's route and do the, the LPC, the legal practice course, or go down the barrister route and do the BPTC, the bar professional training right. course.
0: Right, okay, so you were going down the barrister route?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right, okay, okay. So you completed the, the BPTC, and then what, what comes after that?
1: Yeah, so um, to... um to be sort of eligible to be called to the bar, the Bar of England and Wales, you have to be a member of an, an, an inn, an inn of law, basically. So that's like Lincoln's Inn, Gray's Inn, Middle Temple or Inner Temple, the four inns of court. Um, and you have to complete the BPTC. And you have to have a certain number of um, hours of, uh, they call it dining. So you have to have done a certain amount of dining at your inn um and that's basically you go along for educational um input um and you have a, a dinner kind of at the end of it sort of thing um, sorry
0: but the inn um what is an inn is it like a house that you belong to uh
1: yeah like a house as in uh like harry potter like hufflepuff yeah. and- <laughs> 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 it, it kind of is it kind of is um uh yeah except they're not uh, they're all completely uh, distinct, separate entities. So, if you're, a, I'm a member of Lincoln's Inn, so I I go to Lincoln's Inn for my sessions.
0: Okay, so it was like if Slytherin was actually a whole different, like ha- house on its own, a whole different school on its own.
1: It, yeah, you know, you know, well, you could all go to Hogwarts, but you all went off for your your dinners and your extracurricular stuff at the Slytherin building yeah you're all at school uh you know at hogwarts mixing with mingling with people uh, in your class are all in different houses so within my year on the bptc we were uh all of us belong to the four different inns of court mm-hmm. um and it's a there's a bit of rivalry spend a long time uh well if you're if you're wise you spend a long time looking into which uh, inn would be best for you and um you know so what how, you know, kind of how easy it is to get scholarships with them um, and what benefits there are to being a member of that. In and some of them will have, you know, affiliations with, you know, like Grays, in might have some affiliations with particular tax barristers or something like that. So there might be areas of law that you're looking to go into mm-hmm. that you think, oh, actually, you know, I know that Grays affiliated to that chambers that are like the top tax chambers in the country. So I want to go there, you know.
0: So you are you are a part of that inn.
1: Yeah. So uh, yeah, I was a, I was a I am a member of Lincoln's Inn, and I will be until I'm six feet under.
0: So you you got your B. So you did the BPTC, um, and then what happens after that?
1: So while you're doing the BPTC, if your intention is to practice at the bar, then you apply for what they call pupilages so um a pupil barrister is the equivalent of a um foundation year one doctor so uh, you are you you do very uh, basic work very low level work and any higher level work you're uh, you're supervised or you you work with more qualified more experienced barristers and that can be in whatever area you're interested in so if you want to work in family law you can do 12 months uh, family law pupillage if you want to do criminal uh, and you work at a criminal set you will do 12 months criminal Um, but then there are mixed sets like general sets that don't specialize so a bit like a district general hospital versus a you know more specialized Mm. hospital where you probably do six months civil and six months criminal
0: okay okay so in terms of pupillage is it very competitive to get a place
1: um, so I mean, to kind of put it into context, um you know, this was um, yeah seven years ago that I was going through, um and it was it was very competitive then. um it's interesting because so i I got um shortlisted for about fifteen interviews, I would say, fifteen pupilage interviews which is quite good in itself um so the more more interviews you get shortlisted for um obviously the more chance you've got of of getting a pupillage but unfortunately I still I still didn't get one um and I think I I struggled at the time with my my time management because I had um, a, a young a young child who um our firstborn um she was only about 1 1 to 2 at the time um my wife was kind of back at work part time so I was doing sort of some childcare and I was working part time, and I was still trying to fit in preparing for these interviews. And I mean, I you know, there were, I had I remember going to one interview, um, St Philip's Chambers in Birmingham. I I think there were ten, ten barristers on the panel. And they were
0: interviewing you.
1: Yeah, they were interviewing me. Yeah, and um, I was I was going for a civil pupillage, so you know, I wanted to do uh, medical negligence and and that side of things. Um And they asked me questions about uh, criminal law. And I clearly wasn't applying for a criminal pupillage. And the only interest I would have had in practicing criminal law would have been if it touched upon medics, you know. Um, So I was completely, you know, ill-prepared for it. And, you know, if I had had more time in my life, I might have had more time to better prepare myself. But then some of them, they were just... Yeah, I, ha- I hate to say it, but there are there are some barristers and some chambers who. I mean, I <laughs> I did a mini pupillage. So there's this uh, this concept of mini pupillages where you um, spend anywhere between one to two days or a week, kind of shadowing the the barristers and like uh, they'd get you to work on some legal advisory stuff. You know, uh, this this case has come in. What do you think of it? You know, and they'd already have done it, but they'd just be looking to see what you you might think of it Mm -hmm. or you'd go to court with them or coroner's inquests, or something like that with them and uh, I remember going to one uh, doing one mini pupillage at uh, number five chambers in Birmingham and one of the barristers they put me with um, one of the afternoons basically said to me "Um, so you're a GP aren't you? Uh, I said well yeah, by by trade, you know. Um he's like, so um so you shouldn't really be applying to the bar, should you? You should just be a solicitor, shouldn't you? Mm. And I was I, I was too kind of um shocked and upset to even, you know, retort, you know, I just I I, I, I had no respect for the individual, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, um but I didn't even have the the kind of the 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 ability to defend myself in a way, you know, and and just kind of put him right because I was so taken aback. Um and and that unfortunately, when you're going through this process, um is what some barristers are like and what some chambers or overall are like. Um and I mean you know, it, it may have been that his agenda was just to see how I would react if he said a really controversial and inflammatory thing. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't yeah. know what his agenda yeah. was, because I was just like rabbit in the headlights. I just I just froze. I was like, I, you know, well, how do I respond to that? You know, um, I was partly felt like I've been kicked in the guts, to be honest with you. That's um,
0: interesting. Is there is there a, a feeling that being a barrister is more prestigious than being a, so- a, so- a solicitor?
1: uh I would say uh overwhelmingly yes among the among the members of the the bar although um you know they do they rely on there are some that can work as what they call direct access uh so you, barristers mm-hmm. so you, members of the public can um instruct them directly uh but most of their for the most of their work they rely on solicitors feeding work through mm-hmm. to them so Uh, Although they may think it, they wouldn't say it to a solicitor's face because they wouldn't get any more referrals, you know. Um, And then there are going to be some legal firms that are huge um, and they're what they call uh, these magic circle firms and silver circle firms and whatever. And a lot of them, you know, in in the city and they do that kind of financial law and whatever. And um, the partners in those would... Would you know, kind of um, earn a lot more than um, a barrister, probably. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it's yeah. Even with the barristers, it might even be that more of a bit of snobbery, um, not just about the income, but more the the cudos of being a barrister, and you know, wearing the uh, the wig and gown in court and and, and all of that, you know. So um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's you know, is it do they make the process? You know, so challenging that they are literally testing the metal of everyone who's, who's, you know, appearing in front of them at an interview, you know. So, yeah, I mean, they are they are hard and you have to be very, very well prepared for the interviews. Mm-hmm. And but some things you just can't you can't prepare for. They're so left field. Mm.
0: Um, it was so people are just for a year.
1: It, it is. Yeah.
0: And the salary, yeah. do you know what the salary is?
1: Massively variable. So, again, if you um, if you worked uh, at a, a, a small a small set um, that did sort of low level criminal work, the the minimum at the time um, the minimum prescribed amount to pay for a pupil was twelve thousand pounds per annum. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. That was the absolute bare minimum, and there were sets in London, in central London, that were would pay their pupils that that no. little. And and I heard of um, cases where um, you'd be the, uh, the the pupil you'd been given a I don't know a a low level kind of misdemeanor case, I like, I don't know a uh, high speeding or or like a, a low level drunk driving or something like that, and you'd you go out to magistrates' court um and it would be you know you'd be based at a set in central london it'd be out in norfolk or something like this and it would cost you more in your return train fare than what you earned for appearing at the court which was 70 something pounds certainly in the early years it's not uh, a money-making thing but then if i'd got a pupillage at three new square and the intellectual the intellectual property set that i mentioned um that would have been sixty thousand pounds mm. With a guaranteed six-figure income in your first year of tenancy. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, and that's what it's a bit like with some of these magic circle law firms. If you go down that route, um, you will get training contract salaries of, yeah, 60,000 or so. uh, Again, that was seven years ago. And and as hard as I found it to, to get in then, I'm sure it's... Harder now, because, as we all know a lot, lots of doctors are leaving medicine, and it does seem like the law has this sort of natural affinity for um for some medics um so it's certainly one of the more popular areas for medics to go into if they leave medicine uh, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell
0: um so I wanted to ask a question so um once you get a tenancy has that have you basically made it
1: um yeah, I guess I guess so. Um I mean, you know, the again to put it into context, yeah, you know, I've never I've never practiced law. I've just done lots of lots of mini pupillages where I've seen um barristers working and how they work and, and so on. Um but I, I, I do think, yeah, once you're once your feet are under the table it's hard to get rid of you. I think you have to um do something pretty horrendous. Uh, you know, like through the um, the bar standards board to get removed from a chambers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're not, um, I don't think it's the case of if you're not performing that well as a barrister that they can boot you out of chambers. I think it's more that you have to do something quite bad.
0: When we hear someone saying, you you know, you've been called to the bar, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, so that that is then you can call yourself a, a barrister at law. Um so I'm I, I can call myself a barrister at law. Is
0: it essentially like being on the GMC register?
1: Um I, well that's that's an interesting question because I'm I'm thinking, yeah, you yeah, because you you can be disbarred. Um or I think the other I think disrobed is another is another term for or is that or is that Vickers? <laughs> <laughs> but, but you can be disbarred. Um but it, the uh I the, the, the regulator for barristers is the bar standards board. Um so they're the ones that uh, and I actually went to some Bar Standards Boards um tribunals as well. That was that was really interesting. Um but uh so they have the ability to remove your power to practice um as a barrister um and but i don't know if you'll then be um you know removed as a member of your inn i, I presume you would um but it's mm. it's not the it's not the inns themselves that um take away that that authority it's the bar standards board that probably okay. direct them to so
0: solicitors don't get called to the bar
1: No, so they get put onto the role of what's called the role of solicitors. So, and that's through the SRA, the Solicitors Regulatory Authority. So, that you know, that's the equivalent, although there's no there are no ins involved. Uh, it's literally between you and the SRA. Mm
0: -hmm. And if you complete an LPC, then you become a solicitor.
1: Uh, so there are lots. There are probably lots of people who are LPC positive who uh, are not practicing as listers, simply because they didn't get a training contract. So mm-hmm. a um, qualifi- qualifying with the LPC does not guarantee you a training contract. So that's a, that's another competitive application process. So when um, when I wasn't um, I wasn't getting anywhere with my um, pupillage interviews and then I, I had a had a big rethink and I was like well you know can I even afford to go down to a pupil barrister's salary and possibly being sent to these far-flung courts um, to do you know do these these low-level cases and I'm how's that going to work with my my wife's work when she's on call am I going to be home in time to pick our daughter up from nursery and stuff when I was kind of like going through all of that, I was like, okay, well, I'll apply to I'll apply to do the um, LPC then I'll um and and try and work as a, a lawyer in a law firm. So work as a solicitor. So um a lot of people just do the do the LPC, they fund it themselves, um, and then they apply for training contracts. I actually applied for some training contracts before starting the LPC with firms that would sponsor you through the LPC.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um a lot a lot of them that you know the kind of the 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 bigger firms now and one I um I got a training contract with was called Waitmans. There was a, a pre um assessment day psychometrics test you had to do online um and then if you got through that you went to the assessment day um, where you had a, a, a variety of exercises, some group exercises, a presentation exercise, a written advice exercise. And, you know, it's all it's all pretty rigorous. Uh, and you get, you know, obviously marked on all of those and, and then you get graded. So, um, yeah, um, and I, I, I knew it wasn't going to be a, a great salary, um, especially in, in your training contract year. So I would have had to finish the LPC and then I would have started a two-year full-time training contract with Waitmans.
0: In terms of workload was it very similar to being to working as a, a gP or how how does it differ
1: um so at the bar um, if you were if you were a busy barrister you know if you had a a, a thriving practice and you were you were sought after um, or even even sort of um averagely you were tended to work very long days, and there would be um, prep work to do at home in the evenings and weekends as well. Then you kind of factor in these things. Like I, I remember seeing barristers who were literally given cases at six pm the night before and told you're in court at nine o'clock tomorrow morning. Who would then have to pull all nighters to write their legal arguments and get familiar with the documents. Um, yeah, it's it's just, um, it's unpredictable, uh, but also really intense, I think, um, working mm-hmm. at the bar. Um, as a solicitor, uh, again, it seems, speaking to all the solicitors that I did, and especially I knew more in, in medical law, um, that it was also very, very busy for them. Um, and again, very long hours, lots of working outside of office hours. Um I think it's just the nature of the beast. I think it's I think it's very, very similar to me. I think the I think the hours are probably longer. Uh, maybe not as antisocial because you're not officially having to do night shifts. But you will have to pull all nighters at some point. Um and you know, what's I I I don't think I think they were protected by the European Working Time Directive in the same way either, because, you know, officially in a law firm, say, as a solicitor, they were working nine till five. But they weren't. They were working nine mm. till nine or whatever. They just weren't they weren't telling the powers, you know, that their their employers would have known that they were working those long hours, but they weren't declaring it to any regulator who could turn around and say stop working all those hours you, you're a naughty person you're not allowed to work those hours you're breaching working time directives you know they would just do it because a bit like in medicine I suppose you're you're only as good as your your last reference and you want to climb the greasy, greasy pole you know to um get promotions and and I think it's really competitive within law firms you know to um achieve partnership that's what you're looking for
0: could you tell us a little bit about you know what you're doing now
1: yeah of course so i so just to um so it's not all doom and gloom about doing all these law qualifications and, and not actually ending up practicing law i mean you know obviously i could have gone back to working for a medical defense organization but uh would i have been any any better off um you know with all these law qualifications i, I don't know maybe i'd have been able to get promoted a bit a bit quicker or something like that who knows but As it turned out um, I ended up going back into clinical practice primarily. I was a GP appraiser as well and I was an educator. I had medical students I was educating and um, registrars I was supervising in in out of hours but I I just thought you know I really want to be able to use this this stuff you know I want to be able to advocate on behalf of doctors and um, you know give some medical legal advice. So I applied well I didn't I didn't apply because they weren't actually jobs going. I approached opportunistically and speculatively um, the local medical committee in Nottinghamshire and a couple of other organisations and um, applied for a job with NHS England, which was an assistant medical director post, which was had prim- primarily had responsibility for the performers list, put people on the performers list, so GPs or dentists or remove them from the performers list or put conditions on their practice, a bit like the GMC. So I actually used it to, to go into medical leadership. So I started off being a, um, you know, kind of an ad hoc medical legal advisor for the local medical committee. But I then um, got onto the committee. I was um, um, I was put onto it as, as an advisor. And then I ended up becoming vice chair of the local medical committee. And I was... Assistant Medical Director of NHS England, and I ended up getting a job as a medical lead at an urgent care center in, in, uh, in Nottingham. Um, and so I then basically had a, you know, a series of medical leadership roles that literally all come out of um, having a medical legal interest and having a legal degree. And having that barrister qualification, you know, it's uh, may not be very impressive within the legal fraternity. But once you you say you've got it and you're outside of law and you're in medicine, people are like, "Oh wow, you're a barrister as well," you know. And and I I knew that it didn't really mean that much, you know. But but to other people, it was like, "Wow," you know. Um. So why not kind of cash in on that and use it to to get other other positions? So. Definitely. So I mentioned earlier about how when I had worked as um, assistant medical director at NHS England, I got some coaching, some leadership coaching, um, and how. You know transformational that was for me and I just uh thought you know everyone should should be coached it was it was like it was a, a proper epiphany you know I just thought this is this is what I want to be doing I, yeah and then um my wife had this opportunity to come and do a fellowship in Australia and uh, I was like right I'm I want to achieve something out of that year that she's doing her fellowship so I'm going to train to be a coach so, all I was here. I did my diplomas in life leadership and executive coaching, and um, I've through the process I've learned so much about myself. And I've been a, a coach for the Joyful Doctor. Um, you probably have heard of them already because you've interviewed some people who are also Joyful Doctor coaches. Um, and uh, you know, I've I've learned. I think I might be able to make more of a difference working with doctors who've been bullied because I think that there is a place for coaching in people who've been bullied you know because there are lots of things that they suffer from like confidence issues and um, burnout and you know imposter syndrome and all these sorts of things that kind of stem from them having been bullied
0: yeah and for anyone who is interested um, you did a podcast episode on you are not a frog um, and that was a really interesting episode on bullying so I can put that in the in the show notes as well Thank you so much for coming on. If anyone wants to contact you, where can they contact you?
1: Yeah, at the moment, uh, best thing is uh, email. So dr.adamharrison, as one word, at gmail.com. And I'm on LinkedIn a lot. My LinkedIn profile is uh, quite active. So if people want to connect with me and and send me messages and stuff, that's fine. Um, I've got a Facebook group and a Facebook page that are in the making and a website that's also in development. So, um, yeah, in the future, they can contact me through them. But at the moment, it's just my email and my LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. I'll put those down as well. Thank you so much, Adam, for coming on.
1: It's all right. My pleasure, Zainab. Really, yeah, I feel really honoured and uh, it's just been nice. Lovely to chat to you.
0: So thank you to Dr. Adam Harrison for coming on the podcast. As I mentioned last week, this will be the final episode of this season. I've had so much fun filming these and recording these. I want to thank you all for being here and being such a great audience. If you do want to follow my journey, you can follow me on Instagram at MindTheMedic. I'll leave the links in the description box. Bye.